The Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, episode 88. You're listening to the Cannabis Heals Me Podcast, where we explore the real stories of real people who have discovered the profound healing properties of the cannabis plant in their own lives. Find more at CannabisHealsMe.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. This is your host, Rachel Kennerly, and I'm coming to you once again on a bright and cheery Monday morning. Well, I don't know if it's bright and cheery because I'm recording this well before Monday, and it can be rainy and dreary where you are. But hopefully the sound of my voice is bringing a little joy to your world. And speaking of joy to the world, Christmas is right around the corner. If you haven't gotten your shopping done, you probably need to get on that because, you know, it'll be here before you know it. Today is the, what, 16th? So we have nine days till Christmas. That's crazy. I've got to get some shopping done because I have a 10-year-old boy who is going to be very disappointed if he doesn't have more under the tree this year than what I've bought so far. Now, in case you're wondering what I want from you for Christmas, I have a very short Christmas list and it won't cost you a penny. I want you to go out and give us a rating or review on the podcast app you're using to listen to this show. And the reason I ask you to do this, that helps us with the algorithm of your podcast catcher. And it will actually recommend this show to other people who are listening to similar type shows that have never listened to this show before. So it's an easy, free way for you to help this show get the word out to more people about cannabis as medicine. Make my Christmas wish come true. Go out to your podcast catcher and give us a rating or a review, preferably both. If you'll give us both a rating and a review, that would be awesome, and we would be sincerely appreciative. Also, if you know anyone who lives in South Dakota, call them and tell them, I have this awesome podcast that I want you to listen to, because this podcast has been downloaded in every single state across this nation, with the exception of South Dakota. So I'm begging you, if you know anyone who lives in South Dakota, call them and ask them to please download the podcast in their podcast catcher or go out to the website, CannabisHealsMe.com and click on a button and listen to an episode for 60 seconds. That way I can get one download in the state of South Dakota and then I can check off every single state in the United States as having listened to the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. Those are my only two Christmas wishes of you, my guests. And if you could do me that great honor, I would sincerely appreciate it. My guest today is Kim, and I'm not giving her last name because she lives in the state of Texas. And as most of you know, cannabis is not legal in the state of Texas. So I am withholding her last name so that she can come on and share her story freely. So without further delay, let's hear from Kim. Hey, Kim, welcome to the Cannabis Hills Week podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Thank you for having me, Rachel. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I am glad that you're here to share your story. Uh, a friend of mine had a mutual friend of ours, I guess, had kind of connected right. us. And so I'm I'm glad that that you're willing to come on and share your story. Now, now we're not going to share your last name. We don't want right. to cause any any trouble with uh, local CPS. Correct. And I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm in a, 
um, state where my medicine is not fully legal, but I'm from a state where it is. I'm actually from California. I've been in Texas for 15 years. Okay. And we do have a mutual friend. I actually met her when I first came to Texas. And I was at that time teaching in a private school, a religious school. My faith is very dear to me. And so I, I was an educator. I taught high school English and a little bit of elementary. And around that time, got married, was blending a family. And my history prior to that had been as a young woman, I was kind of reckless. I partied a lot use different substances, but interestingly enough, I never enjoyed cannabis or weed, whatever um, everyone called it. And I was in Northern California, so I had access to some pretty decent cannabis at that time. In the 90s, it wasn't the drug that caused me a problem. Uh, Methamphetamines was, and I had a couple of years that I spent as a young single mom using daily and really kind of had to break free from that, break free from that lifestyle. And I would say, um, became a believer, a Christian, and became super conservative, a teetotaler, very, very wanting to make sure that I was not going to tell her outside the lines anymore. I was terrified of losing control of my life because I, I had. And so in a lot of ways, like, Mental health-wise, I didn't really realize it at the time, but the pendulum had swung, uh, swung to the other direction. Yeah. And so I moved to Texas and met my husband. And like I said, we blended a family. And I had always at this time, like I said, had some depression, anxiety, obviously some instability, but I had a lot of trouble with my periods. And I was the girl in school that was always going home for cramps. And it made me feel, I felt embarrassed about it because I didn't know a lot of my friends that were feeling as extreme as I was. And I would sometimes have to leave because I was in so much pain. I was nauseous. My, my own mom really was kind of skeptical that I was feeling that awful. And I had some very extreme emotions around my period as well. But I didn't really ever until I got married in my early 30s, start to wonder if my instability mentally had anything to do with my cycles. And it really, it really took me a while after we got married and after I got pregnant with our now 13-year-old. And I just, my body was just out of control. My mental health was failing. My cycles were, you know, 60 to 90 days at a time. Oh and my goodness. Come, oh yeah. And they were really painful and really, I mean, it was every time I had a period, my husband and I were almost divorcing. It was really mm. that. Let me, and if you prefer not to answer this, that's okay. You know, with your cycles being the way they were, was fertility up an issue? Well, see the thing, when my husband and I first got married, I had two children and he had a daughter and we were like, oh, we're good. We're not going to have any more kids. And I don't, I mean, I think, you know, by now, like we've uh, total with adoption and everything, we have eight total. So that's laughable. Oh, wow. I didn't but, know that y'all had that many. <laughs> yes. So we first got married and we really weren't. And I mean, when I tell you that we were like 
towing the fake line. My husband did not kiss me until we were at the altar because we both had, we had lived so recklessly and we tell people when we laugh, they're like, wow, how pure. And he's like, no, I had to be honest with myself that I had had sex with every woman I had kissed and I did not want to have sex until I had sex with my wife. <laughs> and so, I mean, we were coming at it from a very honest with ourselves point of view, but I was concerned that I didn't think I could get pregnant because my cycles were so wonky, but we were kind of trying to work it out with my gynecologist and just make sure because we weren't really wanting to get pregnant. And she put me on Prometrium to kickstart my cycle and kind of get me into a regular cycle. And what it really did was make me ovulate. And uh, we got married in April and I found out I was pregnant in July. Oh, wow. And so not to mention whatever, I mean, you know, Prometrium is a hormone. So, I mean, I was already hormonally not okay with the need for it. And then I had a pregnancy that was very difficult. It was, I was just sick the whole time. I just felt miserable the whole time. It, and actually he, my, uh, it, it was a very, you know, a difficult delivery, all of these things. But I, after my son was born, I just went into some postpartum depression and I don't know that I identified it as that at the time. I just hated my life. And I thought I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do to have a better life. Right. And I am miserable. I hate it. And so I kind of began at that point, like it, this was probably around 2009. So probably about 10 years ago. And I started to really just go on a journey for my, I wanted my mind back and I wanted control of my days. I mean, we were wasting entire weekends in conflict because I didn't have control over my emotions. Yeah. And so it began again in therapy, psychiatry at one point in 2015. And I don't know, I had shared a picture recently on social media of me in 2015 because somebody was asking, you know, like what was my highest weight? I had recently been losing weight, which I'll get to. I had weighed 266 pounds and I was on five different psychotropic medications. Oh, wow. And they were Prozac, Zeodon, um, Vyvanse, Intuniv, and Trazodone. And if you look back at like the sequence of when those medications were given to me, it was like one was just the cover up for the next and then the cover up for the next and the cover up for the next. And in the meantime, I just, I mean, I was still miserable and it was still just like a panic. Our, our prescription medication coverage at the time required that we use their mail order service. And if there was just ever an issue with it, it was like a panic because one of the medications I, ha I was without because of the mail for three days, uh, Geodon, and I could not sleep. I had become so dependent on it. And it was like the opposite. I mean, it was like a revisiting how I felt in my mess years where I didn't have control of being able to make my body go to sleep. And I was just done. I felt like I had, again, tried to do everything right. Slowly started to just determine that I needed to scale back on those medications and explore some more and did some research. And we connected a lot of my issues, mental health-wise and physically, with PMDD, which stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder. And I mean, it's specifically 
kind of like a premenstrual syndrome that is categorized with some very extreme mental illness symptomology. And I mean, I can tell you that as a woman in my mid thirties with children, it was horrifying to me to find myself locked in the bathroom, petting myself the way I was counseling teenage girls in my classes not to do. Oh, wow. And so it had really gotten to that point. And then I would have my period and it was like, I could barely remember who that person was a week or so before. Oh, crazy. Yeah. And if you read about some of like family members who have, um, have experience with someone with TMDD, I mean, a lot of them, it's like, it's not, I don't even know who this person is. So just fast forward a few years, probably till about two years ago. And I had begun to feel like I was getting older. I'm 46 now. I was worried about my weight and knew that a lot of these medications were not going, I mean, they were making them contributing to my weight and making it impossible for me to lose any, not just physically. I don't think people often understand that, of course, you can cut back your intake and you can do the exercise, but when all of these drugs are affecting your mind and your ability to be motivated and follow through and stay awake or, or go to sleep, it's really difficult to put those things into practice. And so then as an educated person, I would also feel a lot of shame for like, how did I let myself get to this point? And so in around 2017, a very good friend of mine, which, you know, I just, I get choked up when I think about it because of the great risk that she took to say, hey, I think of, no, I know of something that might help you. And I was just not someone, I just was, I mean, I've always tried to not be judgmental regardless of, you know, my faith. I've tried to be open with people and hospitable, but I really was a very toe the line, live by the law that, you know, well, that's what happens as much as I am a lover of social, social justice movement. I was not even at that time seeing the connection between the drug war and some of the issues that I are very dear to my heart. And so it was a great risk for this person, as I'm saying, to say, if you don't want to try it, that's fine. And she was actually even really only encouraging me to try CBD. And may, and let me think it was, so maybe it was more like two and a half, three years ago. So it really had not become as widely available as it is now, even just that short time ago in my state. Well, even three years ago, CBD was like, ooh, it's, you know, cannabis derived. Yes. So it's got to be right. the devil. Right, right. And that's, so whenever um, my friend came across any products that had a higher value of CBD in it, she was really trying to be tender with my conscience and and I, I just have to tell you that probably immediately I knew that the THC was also helpful to me in a way that I wasn't interested in. Like I can look back on my 20s when my health was not my concern, when my focus was just so much more unhealthy, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't something I was after. I wasn't looking for relief from the calm or from the storm. I was the storm. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so I just knew immediately I would tell my husband, 
who I just, I would talk through it with him. I mean, we prayed about it. I feel like I'm a better person. I feel like I can hear, you know, through the just cacophony of chaos daily. To, um, we, we do have a house full of children. <laughs> and I, I felt like, too, that I was less reactive in my um, hurt feelings towards him over things that just seem so inconsequential when I can, you know, I tell people it feels like insulation in my brain. Mm -hmm. Like there's a place for, you know, the thoughts to bounce around before I let it back out (laughs) unrestrained. (laughs) And I will tell you at this point, so, I mean, really initially the benefit was immediately mental. I just felt like, oh, I think I'm not so miserable anymore. So, so when you started, was it just with CBD oil or did you have like a high CBD strain of cannabis? Like, you know, not hemp, but, you know. No. Um, so really, I'm, I'm one of those people where I've really only ever had access to black market products. Mm-hmm. If I, so you have no um, idea? <laughs> no, I really don't have a lot of idea. I think that there were times I'm really selective. We have to be so careful right now. And I do hope that the federal government would just quit dragging their feet because there's just so much more good that could be done. And I am frustrated with my own state because the very things that I think make its spirit unique are are being squelched by this absurdity over uh, not uh, lifting prohibition of cannabis in every possible way in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For all our, uh, our bragging of being the Lone Star State and of being our own oh country, we yeah, tow the federal line when it comes to prohibition and so many other things. Right. And it's, and it, to me, you know, I am in what I like to brag, you know, of the, you know, I'll just say that the metro area of one of the largest cities in our nation, in our great state, that is known for its medical progression and what are we kidding ourselves we're not going to even pretend this is a thing so i have to believe that the good people here behind the scenes are talking logic and reason into you know because again like i said i look back at myself a couple of years ago and the tremendous risk it was for someone who loved me greatly to say i know this is not your thing but i think you should like hear me out And so I have to hope and pray that, that, I mean, I know that there are people like that in our government who are having these conversations and with, I I mean, I don't trust a lot of people in our government. I'll just say that, but I I do trust that there are people with integrity in every area, in all walks of life who are, you know, opening doors as as much as others are closing them. Well, I I think we've got some good people in, in Texas, not, not a whole lot from what I can tell, but like, you know, Senator Menendez, and um, I can't remember who the who the other guy was that proposed the you know the the decrim, not decrim, but kind of decrim legislation. Right. And, right. You know, and and Doctor or um, Representative, of, I don't know if he's a congressman. I don't know. Menendez, he actually spoke at the uh, Texas Marijuana Policy Conference and kind of told his story of how he got involved with medical cannabis. And it was because of his father who had cancer and his son did some research and wanted to get right cannabis for his. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it was very moving. So, I mean, he has a personal story as to why this 
you know, he changed his mind. And I think that, you know, God forbid anything happened to, you know, relatives or friends of Dan Patrick, but I think it's going to take that before anything changes with him. Well, and that's, but I think that's one of the reasons that your podcast is so important because people sharing their personal stories and it's really emboldened me, even in my faith community, I do try to be selective because, you know, I think that I want to be cautious for people who may not really be in a healthy place to make that right. choice. Right. And I know that's not always my job to parent people, but, uh, you know, like in a women's small group, a lot of times people are going there because they're vulnerable and looking for something. And I don't want to suggest that cannabis is what they're looking for. That's all I'm trying to say. Right. And probably from your, <laughs> from your background of, of substance abuse, were you, were you nervous about using cannabis because of that background? You know, I was, and I still am. And I have to tell you that my husband is really a, he's a very saintly, but also level-headed guy. I mean, and he's been through a lot in dealing with a lot of this with me, but he, one, immediately experienced the benefits as a husband and as, um, you know, the other parents in the home observing and just, I mean, I, I couldn't describe like a liftedness and just feeling like I could be more present and outside of my emotions or the stress of whatever is going on and compartmentalize better. Cause a lot of times, you know, with trauma and stress and, you know, the things that go wrong in our brains, it's that we can't compartmentalize that this emotion is for this thing and it will pass. I mean, it's, it's the, the anxiety and fear that I can't get through it. And I think that's what it has done for me, but you're right. I hope that there's no tragedy that would become anyone that, it's that people are saying I am different and their family members are experiencing this person is different. They're healing, you know, like, like I was, uh, wanted to say, so that was a, a couple of years ago and I've only had access to black market products. So I really don't know. I know that there have been times things have come from real dispensaries because they've been brought to me by people who, I, I think one of the things as I was kind of preparing myself for our conversation tonight, that I kept thinking about is, you know, like we may take vitamin C, but every single time the doctor would say, I'd really rather you eat an orange. And that's because there's a lot more than vitamin C in the orange. And I think that's something that really I started to kind of process through is just that, you know, the whole plant, there's things in this that are beneficial, the whole thing trying to extract and determine and I would love for us to have a market a legal market to be able to fine-tune what we have available to us in our state um, better and and even you know with more medical professionals involved I don't know how much I want the government involved in my prescribing yep I'm with <laughs> you on that because it, you know of my experience I I feel like if I look back at those five drugs that I was taking at all that time, I mean, there was a period of time that even the morning after I took the Geodon, I could barely stay awake to drive, but that was perfectly legal. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it's not even a controlled substance. Really? I mean, it's like, but it's not a schedule one. That's what I'm saying. It's not like, I don't need a, a duplicate or anything to get it from the pharmacy, you know, and, and people, I think that's what people assume. Well, if it's, you know, cannabis is a schedule one, it must be really, really bad. Well, no, I mean, because 
serotonin changes your brain. Like all of these, I mean, you're, there isn't a way around that just because like, I don't, I don't think our, the way we schedule these drugs is even appropriate at all because we're not, I mean, you know, the money, how do, how do people know? So I'm off track. Let me get back on. So I've over (laughs) a couple of years and I finally just over time was able to get down. I'm down to one antidepressant right now. And, um, actually in February, I was so excited. I felt like I was feeling so great and I had finally gotten into the nerve. I'm going to go to the doctor and she's going to look at me and see how fantastic I'm doing. And I'm going to tell her I'm using cannabis. Right. And my husband's like, I don't know, like, wait and see how it goes. And (laughs) so we get there and I didn't end up telling her, but I got a phone call a couple of days later, actually that I had diabetes and this is oh, wow. February. And so I was so frustrated because I felt like, well, I've done all this. I've gotten off these drugs, but the reality is I knew I was still overweight. I hadn't done any of the other, you know, I hadn't done the work back on my body to repair the damage that had been done, even though I was feeling a lot better because I had reduced the drugs I was taking and medicating with cannabis. But I was really terrified and I will, I have to say that this has been totally different experience with, you know, fear for me in my life that for the first time I felt like I could sit down and think, how am I going to address this then? Because I cannot die. I have, um, we've reached, you know, with the last couple of years adopted three small children. We have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old that we adopted. And I lost both both my grandmother and my aunt to type two diabetes-related illnesses and really just felt deeply I have to do something. So at the time, a lot of the consumption of cannabis that I was doing was um, in edibles that I knew they were being made by the person and you know, I'll just say it was a gummy, but there's an awful lot of sugar in those. Yes. And I didn't, I wasn't paying as much as I was paying attention to how much better my mind was feeling. I just wasn't paying attention to my body. And I knew that really the only true way to combat type two diabetes is my diet and activity. And I am, My husband and I, you know, went on a low carbohydrate, most often high fat, keto, whatever people want to call it. I'm probably more loose than that (laughs) diet starting in in February. And I actually just checked my BMI yesterday, my body mass index. And I cannot tell you when I last checked it and it did not call me obese. Oh, wow. I have never been so happy to be overweight in my life. You're no longer morbidly obese. You're just over. Right. That's awesome. And I, and I'm just sharing that piece because I ha- I don't think I could have made the changes in my lifestyle as a 46 year old woman who just already decided I was, you know, getting older without the cannabis. I think the health to my mind and to my body was preparing me for, to be able to make this change. That's, that's incredible, Kim. It is. We, I've lost almost 65 pounds now. My husband has lost, I mean, of course, my husband's 
done like this. And, and I'll also say too, my husband has a Twit card, so he cannot, he doesn't medicate. He doesn't, yeah. It, sometimes he'll use a little CBD that we have made sure is tested, you know, something, but he's really, I mean, his employment precludes him. So um, I feel really fortunate to have a spouse that isn't, I mean, we're not, you know, somebody that you think of, oh, she's an old hippie from Northern California. Because <laughs> <laughs> I kind of am, but I wasn't. I mean, it just, and I feel really fortunate to have his support in it. But I also know it's because he lives with me and he sees. Mm-hmm. And not yeah, just, he sees for, I mean, he, he knows better than anybody else in this whole wide world how much yes, better you are than you, than you were. Right. Well, and I, um, cause you probably don't even realize how much better you are, but he sure does. <laughs> oh, right. No, I'm no, he does totally without a doubt. And I, like, I just, I feel like I wish I hate the situation we're in legally because like I said, I have become more emboldened, but sometimes I just want to look at somebody and say, I wish I could just tell you. Yeah but we're just not quite there yet. Not in my personal situation. I'm so grateful for you have had so many people on your podcast that have helped me learn that I've, you know, uh, I know one's coming to mind, Amanda, is it Munson Hughes or Hughes mm-hmm. Munson? I yeah, yeah, Amanda Hughes Munson. I think I learned something from her every day. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she, she really knows yeah. her stuff. I love her. But I just, uh, but, you know, the other thing, the flip side of that is she doesn't have kids at home. So, you know, what she's risking is herself, not risking her right. kids. And if, right. it, you know, if you've got kids with, with a background in CPS, the last thing you want to do is have them wind up back in that same situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're just, at, and not, I mean, what really, you know, my number one priority obviously is to be the best mom that I can be, you know, to my kids and wife to my husband. And I can't do that if I'm not here or if they're not here, but I would, I would really, I do hope that our state gets on board and I don't know. I hate to say gets on board because I feel like there has, we are not, we are an intelligent people here Mm -hmm. and it's not about not getting on board. It's about the right people getting on board. Well, I don't think anything is going to change until Dan Patrick is no longer lieutenant governor. I agree with you. Because he's he's just flat out said, no, I'm not going to allow any cannabis-related bills on the floor. And he's the one that specifically excluded PTSD as a qualifying condition for the pathetic 0.5% THC teacup program. Well, and that, yeah, that's ridiculous, too. I was reading about that the other day, and that, I read a lot about PTSD because that's another diagnosis that I've had of it. I mean, I would probably argue that a lot of people have PTSD and don't know it. You know, we live in a culture that's traumatized. I mean, people, our generation watch 3000 people die on TV in real time. I don't know how many of us could it, but when this, I mean, when I don't know how the science can be denied and why would you tell I mean, our veterans, not just yes. me, but our veterans, the sacrifice you make is fine for me, but the relief from that, no. Yeah, I, I think that's the the most egregious part of it, egregious part of it is that our veterans are denied access to plant-based medicine when they get back from fighting for our freedoms. 
you know, that's what they're told anyway. You're fighting for our freedoms, but you come back home and you don't get the freedom to choose what medicine you put in your body because we don't trust you with that to make that choice. Right. As far as your medicines go, when you started taking, when you started using cannabis, how many medications were you on at that point? Um, When I first started taking the cannabis, I was still on three or four. I was still on four of them. Had stopped taking the Deodon because, and that's the antipsychotic. And of course it was like, you know, this, this particular drug only causes weight gain in like 9% of the people. And that was me. And I, I mean, I hate to say that too, because we're, you know, I was culpable. I mean, we, we, I know that, um, but when a drug changes your body, it changes your body. And if it's not helping, it's not. But I took that for almost five years, and in this, I gained eighty pounds in five years. Oh wow! And then that, the, I stopped taking the deed on an actually really kind of an unhealthy moment. Mm-hmm. But then went back and talked to my doctor after the fact that we, my husband and I, had gone to an Astros game, and I was feeling uh, uncomfortable in where I was sitting, and. Uh, I just kind of felt like, I, you know, noticed another woman in the crowd. I was just really frustrated with myself. And I guess at the time I thought, well, that will be the magic bullet. If I don't take it, then I'm just going to lose all this weight magically. But that's not how it works. And instead, it just kind of, I mean, it, it sent things a little bit more topsy-turvy than they needed to be for a while. But once, I I think what people don't realize for these drugs that we get prescribed, you know, whether it's through a psychiatrist or through your general practitioner for your mind, they cause very real withdrawal effects, just like any other drug that you take for your body or even heroin, yeah. <laughs> you know, or opiates. And that once I got through just feeling horrible, you know, getting off the Don, I would not allow myself to do it again. I just, I wasn't going to go through it. And I said, we're going to have to find another way because that, that can't be it. Um, So I did continue for a while on the other things. And, you know, I I had felt like I had a Vyvanse prescribed for ADHD that I felt like was really sort of triggered by the Geodon because it just made me feel so stupid. And I think a lot of times that's what happened. It's like, oh, well, I'm taking this drug now and this has come up. And we're not asking, is the drug the problem? Or is there, you know, a better way instead of, you know, like, okay, maybe none of this is working and what can, I don't know how many doctors I've read or documentaries I've seen or podcasts I've listened to where I've heard doctors say that I can tell people this one plant will do for you what these four things are doing, I believe. Let's try it. I mean, that should be the spirit of medicine. And that, I mean, that's what I have loved about your podcast from the moment too. I have to tell you, I saw your logo. I loved, loved, loved it too, (laughs) because I just love the image of the Moses holding up the staff in the desert and saying, look at this, pay attention to what's real Mm -hmm. and get better. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I wanted to incorporate that in. You know, because I, I think cannabis is medicine. 
And, you know, people have been lied to about the plant for 80 years. And I think it's important for them to realize, hey, you know, there are definitely medicinal benefits for this plant. You know, as far as um, being fully informed, you know, most people, if they go to a doctor or psychiatrist or therapist or whatever, and they say, hey, I want you to get on these antidepressants. They're not necessarily told, hey, we want you to be on these antidepressants. And by the way, you're probably going to be on on the rest of your life. And right. it's really hard to get off of them. You know, I, I didn't realize um, just because I've, I've not been on antidepressants before. I, I didn't realize that it was one of those things where you got on them. You couldn't get off of them. I thought, oh, you can take them for a few months and then get off. And it's and it's not that way. And I think a lot of people feel trapped by having to take continue to take these antidepressants. Uh, and that's actually the only one left that I take right now. I've begun, I I had a pretty unsettling weekend a couple of weekends ago, just more emotional than I have been in a while. And my husband and I were talking about it because here I am taking this particular dosage, but that hasn't been adjusted since I've lost 65 pounds. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, you know, what we do know about some of these drugs is that too much can be just as harmful as too little if you need it. And so that's something I'm having to go back and look at, but that's, that's one of the ones that I'm still taking. And I'll tell you too, a very good friend of mine is a therapist and she's putting herself through, she's a single woman though, without kids. And she's putting herself through the drama of coming off of her SSRI. And she told me recently, my experience gives me pause now before I refer to somebody for medication. Well, that's good. I mean, I hate that she's having to go through that, but it is good. It is good, but it really, it, it is so unsettling to think of how many other mental health professionals are not given any pause whatsoever. And they're just like, you know what, we'll make this easier. So go. And it, that's the thing that I feel really frustrated is people don't seem to recognize that when your brain isn't functioning properly, it is a part of your body, just like your heart and your liver, and your lungs, and if it's not functioning properly, neither are the parts of the body that it's in charge of. Yeah. Well, I had a, a family member who, who her, her therapist said, oh, she's having a really hard time right now. I think we should put her on antidepressants. And I was talking to the, to the guardian as a uh, person, and I said, look, I said, don't do it. I said, you know, it's not something where you get on, you're on it for a few months and then you get off. It's like, once you get on those antidepressants, you have to stay on them for a lifetime. And there are other ways to address, uh, you know, depression other than just let's, let's throw a pill at it, you know, maybe try these things because you probably know from your own personal experience, you know, changing your diet, incorporating exercise into your, your, you know, your, if you improve your physical health and sometimes that, affects your mental health positively. Right. Well, enough. Um, one of the therapists that I've had recently, because I still, I will, I mean, I will say that I think it's super important to remain responsible for, you know, your mind and your body, the health of those things with medical professionals that you're willing to be open with. Look for a doctor that you're going to be open with if you're not comfortable being open with one that you have. Because I at least want, if anything to goes wrong, them to know why. <laughs> because, I mean, this is the only body we have. And I, I mean, but the therapist that I had, I mean, she said more and more the research goes back to 
that, you know, again, just like your brain is a part of your body, just, and, and we nurture our body with food, it, the food that we eat is going to our brain. And one of the things that was eye-opening to me, because a lot of this goes back to the FDA, I mean, we, you know, the, the scheduling of cannabis, like who's in charge, the, the gatekeepers, and what I, in my diagnosis for type 2 diabetes, and having, you know, had um, adopted children, uh, when you have any experience with kids that are in the system, and they're entitled to, you know, like WIC benefits or something, and you get this WIC plate, and the plate has the portions cut out by size based on the FDA recommendations. And I will tell you that when I look at that plate as a type 2 diabetic, it is a lie. <laughs> because it tells me to fill that plate in a way that will give my children diabetes. Yes. Yeah, we, we could totally go down that rabbit hole with as far as uh, food guidelines. My my friend, uh, Jimmy Clegg, he, he's done a ton of research. He, he switched to keto, and I think now he's kind of more on a primal diet. And he just does, he just takes a deep dive into all this research. And basically all the, the guidelines for the food and, and uh, for food are, it's the, you know, the, uh, the whole uh, food pyramid is upside down. You know, the way they recommend you ought to eat is it needs to be turned upside down. Right. And I just, at this point, I'm so mad about it. I think that I I just, I feel angry. I feel lied to. I feel like I have, well, not just about the cannabis, but about the way I have fed my body, heart and soul in every organ, because I believed what I was being taught in my public schools by my, you know, government funded and curriculum. Right. Teacher. Right. Well, I think that's the, that's the problem with central planning. And the, and the more we, we centralize government into the hands of fewer and fewer people, the more those hands can be influenced by hands with big pockets of money. Right. And that, that is my concern. I, I obviously want to see the prohibition change but I, I hate what's happening with the whole vaping thing because I, I feel like it's really putting a highlight on a, a few bad eggs in the grand scheme of things because, I mean, American cannabis users who are medicating with this plant owe it to the black market old timer who were willing to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And... I think that we should be doing everything we can in our the way we vote to protect the the industry for the people who were here in you know the grassroots of it. Yeah, because in some of those states that have legalized that if you've had a prior drug conviction, you can't work in the industry. And it's like, what? Well, and it's and why would we do that? We're we're gonna cut out the experts. Exactly. Exactly. I mean that's that, I mean, these are the people who were doing the chemistry on this plant before, you know, when we were still saying it didn't have any medicinal value. Let's file for this plant patent over here on the side, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But I, I mean, I, I do, I pray along for the day that it gets on board. And my ambitions are probably a lot more not government controlled. But I mean, any movement. I just, I hate to see people continue to go to jail. 
the pragmatic approach is, you know, every little bit we can get, you know, some people want to see full legalization with no regulation, which in an ideal world would be amazing, but we just have to baby step it at this point. Right. We do. And we, I mean, and we have to, I do think that we have an opportunity to, I mean, and I'll just, you know, on my personal soapbox and my, the three boys we just adopted are, uh, they're African-American boys. And I think that a lot of times we get caught up in the, the community and, and look at these dads that are all going to jail. And if we're culpable in that, we need to send those men home. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, you know, that's the thing with the, with the Christian conservatives and, and, and I'm pointing a finger at myself because I used to Absolutely, be there yeah. as we talk about how the family is broken down and that the, the men aren't in the home. And a lot of that goes right back to the drug war. You know, we're taking black men and we're putting them in prison and in some cases right. for years. And in doing so, we're taking them out of the home. We're forcing the mothers to be single mothers. But the Christians are the ones that are saying, yeah, throw people in cages over plants. Right. And then penalizing the single mothers and their children for not having, you know, as a as a culture, the way we look down. And I mean, I this goes back to my senior thesis in college was on, you know, the inequality of welfare reform and how it, you know, is not, and this is even before I thought about how the war on drugs affected that. And so really just as my, you know, the things that I've learned and looking and seeing like, why have we done this out of a sense that we feel like we have to, we have to cause other people to be moral. That isn't something we can even do. It's not even the basis of my faith. Right. Yeah, that's the thing is that there's no basis in, in Jesus never said throw somebody in a cage because they don't believe like you or throw somebody in a cage because they use a substance that you don't agree with. And, and Christians are the first ones to line up with the pitchforks to, to have them put in cages over stuff that they don't agree with them doing. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we're so afraid. Well, Rachel, I appreciate the opportunity. I hope I gave you anything that was um, of any use for anyone. No, I think you're great. I, I think it's nice for people to see that this plant can help you get off a lot of those medications and then just the the help, the changes that you've made in your life as a result of it. Yeah, I don't think I would have been, I really don't, I, I wasn't ever going to be someone who was active. It's hard to describe to people what your difference in thinking can be when you just have you know, like I said, some insulation, some buffer to cut down on what's getting in the way of ability and motivation and your own like self-encouragement. A lot of the people that I've talked to have said that cannabis has actually made them more mindful of their health. Heather Dagley, who actually used cannabis to get off of antidepressants, she said that that's one of the things that she's noticed is that when she uses cannabis, she's much more conscious of other health choices that she makes, which is the total opposite of everything we ever heard about cannabis. Right. It is. I mean, not, it is the opposite of, I mean, the, when I look at the things that like doctors have said I should put in my body and like the, I just, when I look back, somebody was asking me about the pictures that I had recently posted that 2015 picture. And then I just took a selfie the other day which I don't do a lot of, but I hated this picture from the get-go. When I look back at it now, I see someone who was bloated and sick and deformed from poison. Mm -hmm. 
And I think I I, like, I agree that using the cannabis became a way for my brain to start healing and crave what my body needed and be able to say no to things that it doesn't. Because I think it's fascinating when we see people who are giving up opiates and all of these other drugs, be it street drugs or pharmaceutical, and they have the willpower to do it in a different way because they're using cannabis and like what that's bad. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, you know? Yeah, I agree completely. Kim, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. Great. Well, thank you, Rachel. Have a good one. All right. You Alrighty. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Show notes for today's episode can be found out at CannabisHillsMe.com slash 88. Thank you guys for joining me today. We will not have an educational episode on Thursday. And Monday's healing story may actually be a little late, possibly as late as Tuesday or Wednesday. Apologies for that, but hopefully after this one little bump in the road week, we'll get back on track. And I'm hoping that during the holidays, I won't have to miss any episodes. You guys have a great week. We will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Hit the subscribe button and you'll never miss an episode of the Cannabis Heals Me podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever podcast app you're using. Do you have a suggestion for a guest on Cannabis Heals Me? Send an email to podcast at CannabisHealsMe.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Cannabis Heals Me or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments.